When Jesus fed the 5,000, it was a young boy who provided the loaves and fishes. And that when it started raining, Noah was 600 years old. Age doesn't matter. But the enemy loves to keep us on the sidelines, inactive, not in the game, just on the sidelines. And so he feeds our insecurities. Good news, God doesn't wait for us to be perfect. I wouldn't be up here if he did that. But he gives us the Holy Spirit in order that we can fulfill our purpose at whatever stage we're at. Now, I I understand there are different stages and different roles in our lives over the years. But in God, everyone is a difference maker, a piece of the puzzle. You are not a not yet arrived or has been. You are a difference maker. Believe it, live it, share it. I love that we're in an intergenerational church and looking around, you're modeling that. It's fabulous. That's what the family of God is. And just like a natural family, there's generations. Every person is important. Each person God works, wants to work in, right. through, and amazingly, with. Yeah. Each has a part to play, regardless of age, gender, nationality. Now, it does mean that just as like in a natural family, that we have to have respect and tolerance for each other. Right. Uh, For example, older folks, some of the youth's music might not be your cup of tea, either in style or volume, for that matter. But that's okay, because we can appreciate their enthusiasm, their sincerity, and I just love that they're worshipping God and bringing glory to his name. Because in reality, they, as in young people, have to tolerate things that are definitely not their style either. But they can appreciate faithfulness, sincerity, wisdom, that they've done the hard yards, and worshipping God, bringing glory to his name. Older people, myself included, youth may seem a little out there, but as a family, we so need their energy and their edginess to add to that family dynamics. You might say, oh, some are a bit immature. Well, yes, they're young. Do you remember when you were young? I do. And just to illustrate the point, I'm going to share one. I had a choice. One one example. Now, I went straight from the end of year 12, sixth form, to university and teachers, part-time university and teachers college. And halfway through that year, I went on my first teaching section. Now, I need you to remember that I was 17. (laughs) And in fact, my best friend was in the seventh form, year 13, at that same school, at (laughs) Kashmir High School. So I'm just giving myself a little bit of grace here. But anyway, 
I had been assigned a teacher, as is normal for teaching practice, and after a couple of days, she got sick, and she was away. And the head principal came to me and said, um, I wonder if you'd be happy to take her classes. Obviously unaware that this was my first section <laughs> and how young I was. But Jill being Jill said, oh, you sure? <laughs> anyway, first class was fine. It was a senior class and my favourite subject, and it went really, really well. Second class was a fifth form, year 11, and I did a little bit of teaching, and then I set them a task to do. And most of them got onto it, but I, I actually have an eye for recognising naughty people. I don't know how, but I do. And, and uh, so I saw this lad sort of partway down the room, and I could see. So I was actually walking around the classroom, because I had just left school, so I knew that that's what teachers did. And uh, I was walking around the classroom, and I was actually at the start of the aisle that I was heading down to him to actually tell him to settle down. He was, of course, unaware of this. He's sitting sort of sideways on a seat. And as I'm coming right behind him, he picks up the compass, and not the north-south type, the uh, mathematical, what's the point? He picks up his compass and jabs it into the backside of the boy in front of him, puts it down, and he's laughing like mad, and the boy has yelped, and he didn't realise I was right at his shoulder, and I picked it up and jabbed it into him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> A little bit immature, <laughs> just, just a little bit. But, here's the thing. <laughs> I was immature, yes, but did I have the makings of a good teacher? Yes, I jolly well did. Did I love God? Yes. Did I love others? Yes. Was I happy to share the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yep. And you young ones may look at us older ones and say, oh, this seems so conservative. Oh, boring. But we as a church family so need their wisdom, experience, yeah. prayers, and backing. Yeah. Knowing someone's got your back. Right. We're all difference makers, each with their purpose. You might ask, what is our purpose? Now, whilst there's no way that I can actually describe your individual purposes, there are some general ones that all fit under. Right. So let's have a look at those. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment in the law, he replied, and this is from Matthew 23, 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. And add that to the great commission that the resurrected Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended. From Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. Loving God, being in relationship with him, worshipping him, growing in our understanding of his love for us, allows us, allows him to work in our lives and fulfill our greatest, that's our greatest purpose. Right. Reality is, as God works in us, we can work out. I know I learned fairly early on in uh, pastoring that when people started to not look so beautiful, in fact, plain ugly sometimes, <laughs> that I needed to carve out more time to actually just stop and dwell in the beauty of God, to be bathed in his love, to know the comforting arms of the Holy Spirit around and about me so that I could refocus and see people as he saw them. Beautiful. I vividly recall being reminded of this truth of the need to love God and being in relationship with him, being foremost. It was 2005, and I think Dave might have even mentioned this recently, but while we were camping on the third day of rain, I was out walking and tripped over in the mud and hurt my ankle. It, it, turned, it was misdiagnosed as just being a bad sprain, so I continued to tent for a fortnight with a broken ankle. On the way home, uh, the drive seemed incredibly long, which of course it is from Pahara to Christchurch. The next day I was so sore and so swollen, I thought I think I should go to my own doctor. So I went, he sent me to an x-ray and yes, of course, it was broken. I got the cast on, that was fine. And then a couple of days after that, I was hopping around on my crutches and I just couldn't breathe. I just literally couldn't get breath in and uh, it was slightly scary. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, long story short, I did eventually get to the hospital and they eventually diagnosed that I had an extensive bilateral pulmonary embolism, meaning that my main artery to feeding both lungs was blocked with blood clots, obviously, from the break I'd got a DVT and it had travelled thankfully to my lungs rather than my head. We but might have got there. <laughs> Sorry, don't know where that came from. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it took me out of action for a wee while. And one of the first things I did after I was sort of coming right um, was go to a women's event that I had organised but wasn't actually doing anything at. And I went along and, and I, I was still on my crutches and I... At the event, um, I went around and uh, hopped around to each table to say hi and everything as you do. And by the time I got home, I was so sore and crying tired. I remember going to my room and flopping in dramatic style, which I can do, you can imagine, and started complaining to God. I know it's, it's hard to believe that I'd complain to God. But I think we all do at times, don't we? Who, who's never complained to God? No, I, see, I see no hands. So, <clears throat> and I was remember getting really quite agitated with him and saying, God, all I want is to have enough energy to be able to meet people's needs. Is that too much to ask? And I felt it just so quickly. I heard the Lord speak to me, not audibly, but really clearly in my head. And it was this, Jill, you have everything 
you need to fulfill your main purpose, to love God and to love others. It was a, it was a rebuke, actually, and it was a wake-up call. And I've never forgotten that, that that is our main purpose. We can get sidetracked to think what our main purpose is. In fact, our wonderful Lorraine Dirk, who's missionary over in Thailand for four, 40 years, she said to me, she said, Jill, I thought my main purpose was to give my life to be as a missionary. But actually, my main purpose was to love God and love people. Yeah. And to be a missionary for 40 years. <laughs> That's her individual one. <clears throat> loving God, loving others. I had to see that my doing was not as important as my being. Right. Yeah. And there's days like that still, where I need to know that my being is more important than how much I can do. Mm. I do love how Colossians 9, sorry, repeat, rewind, try again. I do love how Colossians 1 verses 9 to 10 puts it. Ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honour and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every good kind of fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's really cool, isn't it? And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want us to take a look at a, a young girl from 2 Kings, verses, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. This girl acted even though she was small. Many times we discount what we can do because we think we are too small or powerless to make a difference. This girl, and we don't even know her name, was a slave. So that's the lowest anyone could be in a social standing. She was an outsider, a Jew living in Syria, and she was young, probably 11 or 12, and a female in a male-dominated culture. By the standards of the day, she, by the standards of the day, she had nothing right. going for her. Yeah. Nothing. She had no power, no position, and no possessions. The only thing she had was her faith, right. and that was enough. Yeah. She acted even though what she could do was small. Mm. You think about it. As a member of the king's court, Naaman had access to the best physicians in the country, but nothing had worked. This servant girl couldn't heal him, couldn't ease his pain, 
and wouldn't even have been allowed to speak to him. Yet, she could do all she could do was make a suggestion to her mistress. She didn't worry about the seeming insignificance of the act. She did it anyway. We need to do likewise. The account goes on to tell us Naaman's skin was restored. Actually, it's a really interesting account. Another student had to get in on the act as well. Read it. It's really cool. But most importantly, that in that moment, he realized God was the one true God and sought to worship him the rest of his life. One small person doing one small act made a big difference in his life. Here's some other things I think we can learn from her. Firstly, if you want to make a difference, be confident, not in yourself, but in your God. The mistress listened because the girl believed what she was saying. We have a great God. Live like you believe it. Number two, if you want to make a positive difference, be credible. Now, if the servant had not served her mistress well, she would have not had the confidence to speak, or even if she did, the mistress would not have listened. Because the reality is, people take more notice of how you live than what you say. Number three, if we want to make a positive difference, everyone, we need to speak to people's needs. Everyone needs hope and help, even the very powerful. And lastly, if you want to make a positive difference, don't be afraid to do something, even if it seems small, because only God can know the impact of a small act. No matter age or stage, loving God and others, living a life of integrity and obedience to God always has the potential to impact positively on others. Noah was selected by God to build the ark because of the way he lived. And his obedience didn't benefit just him. His whole family was saved. And because of God's covenant with Noah, we now, this generation, can know have the assurance that there will not be a worldwide devastation by flood. That's amazing, isn't it? Every time I see a rainbow, I think about that. How that benefit came from the life of one man's righteous living. You and I can also benefit future generations. We can change our corner of the world. When you serve people, When you influence them positively, you create a chain of impact that can outlive you. With God, one person can always make a difference. Kind of wrapping it up, I want to ask you a question. How do you judge if you have had a good day? Don't need to yell it out, but answer it in your head. How do you judge if you've had a good day? If you've got everything on your to-do list ticked off, I love it when that happens. When you've had time to do something you really wanted to do, well, that's great too. 
when you've sealed a successful business deal, when you've been to the beach, when you've been shopping, when your team won. All of these things are things to celebrate. But I believe that if we're going to live life with a purpose, purposefully, then we need to change how we judge a good day. So here's some suggestions. I think you've had a good day if you use your world, your what? Your words to build someone up. Words are incredibly important. And we need to remember, just in the back of our mind, that somehow negative words have more impact than positive. Have you witnessed that in your own life? That five people might say that was fantastic and one say that stunk. And you go away thinking about the that stunk. So we need to be aware of that in our own speaking pattern. How much, I mean, we can tick the box and say, oh, I'm, I said something good to someone, and then the rest of the day been garbage. Just, just a wee sidetrack there. So use our words to build someone up. A day's been well spared if you made someone feel loved and of value. If you planted hope today in a helpless heart, Hopeless and helpless. If you caused a laugh that chased some tears away. If someone's burden was lighter because you did your part. Then your day was well spent. Love, live, share. Let's pray. Just before I pray in regard to the actual what I've shared, I really felt when we were singing that song, Why Would You Fail Now? And You Won't, You Won't, that there's some here that you you were desperate when even as you were singing it. And I just want to assure you that God hears your cries and he is not a God that fails. He is a God that loves you and loves those that love you and that you love even more than you can love them. Hold on to that truth that God is there and he is a faithful God and he is able. Lord, I just want to pray right now for... Actually, can we all just shut our hands? Shut our hands. <laughs> shut our eyes. <clears throat> if you know that that actual song was doing that for you, can you just quickly raise your, raise your hand where you are? Thank you, thank you. Yes. Okay, just put them down. Mighty God, Father, I pray particularly for those people who have raised their hand. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just cement that in their hearts, right on, this, in, on their hearts, that you are able, that your love is greater than anything else, and that you, you are the God of the impossible. Father, I pray let them not lose hope, but may they be steady in their hope, and looking to you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And Father, too, I pray for those who uh, have been sidelining themselves a little, allowing the enemy to feed their insecurities. God, that you would just minister to them, 
that confidence in you, that they know that they don't have to be confident in their own ability, but in the confident in their belief in who you are and how you love and how Jesus Christ won our freedom, that we transfer our brokenness for his righteousness. He is our healer. He is our savior. He forgives and he creates afresh. And for every one of us, Lord, I pray, help us to look at our day with purpose. To know that no matter what age or stage or gender or nationality, that we have a purpose in you. Let us dive into that with new vigor, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.